Ed Miska's horror anthology film VHS is far from a masterpiece. It opened to mediocre reviews, and while a financial success in its own underground way, it never really went particularly mainstream. It spawned two sequels, but there was no paranormal activity or Blair Witch Project. It had a bright spot, however, in its first segment, Amateur Night, directed by David Bruckner. Unlike the other shorts, it received generally positive attention, and if you remember, in our first review, we both agreed that it was the best short in the film. Enter Greg Bishop, who directed Dante the Great, the fourth segment from VHS Viral. He was brought on by producer Brad Miska to direct a script written by Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski that would be a full-length adaptation of the short. Rather than being a remake, Bishop and the writers wanted to make something inspired by Amateur Night to take it, quote, take it in a new direction and do something more expansive and original. This time, it would be presented in a traditional narrative style rather than found footage. Once again, Hannah Fireman returned to play the succubus-like creature, and Bruckner, while not the director, remained heavily involved in the film's production. He helped draft the screenplays and directed second unit for a few scenes. The result was a screenplay that got mixed reviews. The Los Angeles Times, Village Voice, and Variety liked it, the New York Times didn't. Even the positive reviews weren't glowing. The Los Angeles Times wrote that it fused the scares while losing some of the original skating commentary. So, where does Siren lie? Is it a good movie? And perhaps more importantly, how does it function as the end so far of this franchise? Hello and welcome to More Than Thumbs. I'm Jesse. I'm Grayson. Today we're viewing the 2016 horror film Siren, the end so far of the VHS franchise. And this is also a big moment for our podcast because this is the first movie we've reviewed so far that neither of us have seen before. That this is not the where this is the first time watching it was for this review. This was not something we had seen in a little while ago. In fact, I didn't even know this movie existed until after we had already decided we wanted our first review of the podcast to be VHS. I was review, I was looking over, I was doing some research for the VHS review, and I saw that they had made a spinoff of Amateur Night. Uh, Grace, did you have any... Oh, no, I, w- I was just going to say that we are just so thrilled that you found this movie, Jesse. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what I would have done if I, ha- if, I ha- if I lived the rest of my life without having seen 2016's Siren. As per usual, here's the plot. Siren begins in a church. After a cult summoning goes wrong, a man named Mr. Nix, played by Justin Wellborn, who previously worked with Bruckner on The Signal and Bishop on Dance of the Dead, comes into possession of what appears to be a naked girl played by Hannah Fireman. We cut to Jonah, who, just a short while before his wedding day, is going down to Garden City for his bachelor party with his brother, Mac, and his best friends, Rand and Elliot. Sadly for them, the strip club they go to is dead, and no one seems to really be enjoying themselves. That's fine by Jonah, who is uncomfortable with this whole thing, and regrets not having his friend Rand as his best man instead of his brother. A stranger invites Mac to a different club, that changes locations, saying that it would amaze them. Reluctantly, the group takes shrooms and goes to the mysterious house in the forest where they get into a strange and mystical club. Mr. Nix, the owner, personally welcomes them and offers Josh a personal show, only asking Latorn that his three groomsmen give up their fondest memories of their mothers. Jonah walks into a room where he sees Hannah Feynman naked. She sings for him, causing an experience of pure sexual ecstasy. Back at the bar, Elliot has a drink with a leech in it, and seems to be going crazy, babbling about murdering someone. Mac and Rand realize they all have tattoos at the back of their necks. Jonah sees that there's a lock on Fireman's door and, worried that she may be a sex slave, recruits Rand to help him get her out. 
They succeed, but the goal turns into a true form and brutally murders a guard. The four get away, but Feynman follows them, causing the car to crash and dragging away Elliot. Jonah and Mac escape and find their way to a diner while Nick captures, questions, and tortures Rand. Feynman followed them, however, kills the people inside the diner, and takes away Jonah to a secluded location where she rapes him. When she falls asleep, Jonah gets away and finds Nix's assistant, who orders him to have a drink with a leech in it. He then has a memory of Rand being attacked, and Nix demands that he goes to the church so that he can lead the girl there, whose name we now learn is Lily, or is called Lily. Jonah agrees, and Lily takes the bait. Jonah, however, decides to betray Nix, agreeing to help her if she lets him go. Nix kills Matt. Nix kills Mac, Mac while Lily, in a long action sequence, kills Nix and his men. Rand and Jonah escape, but not before Lily asks them not to leave. We cut to later when Jonah is married. Him and his wife have sex on their anniversary, but afterwards, he sees Eva asleep on the couch downstairs, and it is revealed he really had sex with Lily. He tries to force Lily out, but Eva wakes up and screams. Lily attacks Eva, but Jonah pleads that he will go with Lily if she leaves Eva alone. Lily grabs Jonah and flies away as the film ends. So I guess the first thing I just want to talk about is that this is very much not like the segment from VHS. Like this is like, obviously it's not found footage and that's a big difference. Like when I, I mentioned in my, um, in my, in my intro that, uh, you know, the, the, the director didn't want this to be a remake so much as a story inspired by it. And that it definitely reads like that. Uh, and like for better or for worse, this is this is absolutely nothing like Amateur Night in feel, in style, uh, even really in tone, even in the kind of of horror it's going for. This feels more, like while I think a lot of this the horror from Amateur Night and a lot of what I liked about it comes from how intimate it is, and it feels to me almost a kind of social horror where it's feeding on something that there's a very real and personal fear. You go out, you know to a boy and you meet some girls and or guys or whatever and they might end up being you know people who are going to to kill you and and just do horrible horrible things to you this is more of a monster movie which is not inherently a criticism and but it, it does mean that pretty much nothing that i liked Maybe it's a little harsh, but a lot of what I liked about the original short and a lot of the reasons that it was so much stronger than the rest of the Fort's VHS film is just not present here. It's a completely different kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the similarities that you have with this compared to the original is you have the same actress playing a monster that for the most part does the same things and you have yeah you have these uh these mostly bachelors going around trying to you know get drunk and and have sex with people so it's so like that's pretty much the extent of it and and that it's a horror movie um oh. it's the, the obviously the filmmaking style is is completely different and the way that you're supposed to be so like like the actual type of horror itself is is very removed. I, I mean, you called it more of a of a monster movie, which is something that I often um, have a connotation with with like horror action. Yeah, I how do you, how how would you feel about that connection? Well, would you say that's fair? For most part? I think that is fair. I mean, I I haven't seen as many monster. I actually haven't seen a lot of monster movies. If if I'm being honest, I, I haven't seen most of the a lot of the. I, I've seen some, but I I don't know. I don't have a tremendous familiarity with the, that particular subgenre. But I mean, this this the times when this does really feel like horror action. The, the particularly the opening and ending. 
Yeah. Yeah, particularly the opening. Well, particularly the ending to me is that that the uh, no, yeah, not the very very ending, but the the scene in the in the church at the end when uh, Lily is running around and she's killing you know all these things. I mean that and that scene feels very monster movie. Not just it's not just because it's very actiony. Because it is very actiony. That that particular sequence is a lot more of a action sequence than really a horror sequence. There's nothing there that's even trying to scare me. But it's more. It's also reflects a lot of the at least the, the notions I have about monster movies, where you know by a lot of times by the end of the movie, your your sympathies might have changed, and you're supposed to be a, feel kind of bad for the monster and be kind of rooting for it. Like there's a part where. There's an extent to which, for example, Godzilla ends up being the good, the good guy in his franchise at certain points, and and you're supposed to feel bad for King Kong, and then you know this this other thing, the uh, Lily is is what she's called in the movie, or the the succubus, or whatever you want to call her. You know, she she's been killing people, and she's been doing these bad things throughout the movie. But by the end, you know, we do want the the, the sympathies in that scene are supposed to be on her to defeat all these people who are trying to keep her enslaved and and singing for random and performing for these random strangers. And that feels very monster movie to me. That feels like something that's lifted from that subgenre, at least as I know it, and from the few examples that, that I've seen and are, and are familiar with. Yeah, so as a contrast, the the examples that I would think of, and I, I guess I'll just use examples that I, that I know you've seen. When I think of monster movies, I think more of something along the lines of Jurassic Park, which it, which is a monster movie, and so is The Thing. And I guess the thing that I'm trying to say right here is that, for the most part, I see monster movies as being pieces where it's just consistently this one threat throughout that you're constantly running away from, or in The Thing's case, you're, you're trying to be as aggressive right back to it in order to survive. I know that in the traditional sense, and I, I know you have a little more experience with with classic classic monster movies than I do. Like you've seen the original Whales, Frankenstein, and I've not. But I'm not as used to monster movies having this sort of interest in in having your perspective on the monster change as the film goes on. So while I can understand what you're saying, I feel but like clearly, I mean, but you like you've seen you know things like like you've seen Peter Jackson's King Kong, and you've seen like. Like that's a staple of like the some of the big monster movies just in general, and the idea that your perception of the monster changes as the mm. film goes on or as the franchise goes on. That's, a, that's certainly. I mean, I wouldn't say that this is in the tradition of Jurassic Park or The Thing, which are both different, very very different kinds of monster movies. In fact, I would say that The Thing really borders more on psychological horror in a lot of points. Um, it, it's well, I mean, that switches genres, but I mean, not to go too far down a, a track for one of the best horror movies around. But yeah, no, I, I think what I would say as a response to King Kong, and I, and I can understand what you're saying, the, the King Kong point, I feel like what separates that from this is maybe I think of that as being something where I'm a little more forgiving to the monsters because that's people encroaching in on its natural habitat and its violence is mainly targeted at them because it's being threatened. So that, that I mean, that just might be why it is that I don't count King Kong as much in that in that vein, but I, I do understand what you're saying. So. I mean, it's it's still kind of evolving from those tropes. Not, I don't want to get too far into a, a rabbit hole about different different monster movies and stuff. But no, no, I no, but, but I think it's I think it's important to make that distinction earlier on, uh, considering the way that we're expected to feel about the monster by the end, and how the perspective is is quite sloppy on how it is that we're actually supposed to feel about her by the very end. 
before we get to that point, though, I, I just want to say something about so one more thing about how this compares to the original, which is that I, I read in preparation for this a, an, an interview with uh, Greg Bishop, who directed uh, the movie, where he talks about how he wants to free this character from found footage and how he feels the found footage is a very restricting medium, which makes sense when you consider he so he directed a found footage movie or supposedly one that was basically not a found footage movie at all which was Dante the Great, uh, this, that segment from VHS Viral. I think... As a, side, this, as a side note, one of the worst segments in all of VHS. Just wanted to throw that out there. Um, that, I, I, I'm possibly not, disagreeing with... You possibly disagreeing with me on that is more of a reflection of how terrible this franchise is. I don't... I mean, it's a bad segment. I don't know if I'm going to say it's the worst segment in... One of the worst in VHS. There's there's a lot of other ones that a lot. Well, I, I don't want to get into that rabbit hole either. Yeah. Uh, watch, listen yeah. to our VHS file review if you want. If fair, you, if very fair. Have, want to, to do so, I think that he kind of misses. He he does something that I think a lot of people who have been very skeptical of the found footage genre do in missing some of what some of the advantages of found footage because contrary to popular belief, there are advantages to found footage. It's a very intimate genre and it's one that's very that was very beneficial in something like amateur night when they also wanted you know you to have certain kind certain points who have certain sympathies with you know the monster in that uh hannah fireman the the we'll call her the, the uh lily just because that's what she's called in this one yeah the advantage to amateur night in terms of how it handles this is that we are confronted very up close with this monster we, we never really see her alone where we're you know once we're introduced to her we're constantly with her and the camera is right up with her face so we get a good sense of sort of how she's viewing this situation and how her face moves and how she's thinking and reacting and look i don't think that amateur night was brilliant or anything i do really really like it but I, i'm not going to say it's it's a great uh th it's great or anything but that creates a level of intimacy that is beneficial in a segment where you do at some point to want to have sympathies for your villain that is not impossible to get in narrative in their in traditional narrative filmmaking but it is hard to get when you're structuring your movie as such that this creature that you want to be sympathizing with is very frequently not on screen so she's not as major a character as these humans who are doing things around her and i think it also yeah. becomes a problem where no, but it's a problem though i i do think that it makes the movie a little weaker half Feynman doesn't really get a chance to act i think one of the strongest things about the original segment you know is her performance uh she and the the, the cult leader from uh safe haven from vhs2 give the strongest performances of the trilogy and a lot of that is because we get enough time with her and she's able to really use her face and the few lines she has to their fullest but here i don't feel like we have enough time with her or we haven't have time where we're really focusing on her the, the very few times she's on screen the oftentimes action scenes things are happening around her there's you know someone's trying to escape or the or someone's attacking her and she doesn't get as many lines or she's not doing nearly as much. So I don't think that, she, I, I think she's doing the best she can with the time that she's getting, but she doesn't really have time to make that connection. And I think a lot of these are problems in translation from 
found footage, to, a, a, a movie that was meant to be found footage to something that is su translating that to non-found footage. You brought up this director's disinterest in the found footage genre. Do you, do you know much about the story of Blair Witch 2? I mean, we've, we've talked a, a little bit about how the found footage is always going to have to be, uh, for better or for worse, compared to the Blair Witch Project, but it sounds like it's a sort of similar situation with Blair Witch 2, where the director of that, Joe Berlinger, or Joe Berlinger, was also really uninterested in the found footage genre because he thought that it it gave off this sense of false authenticity. And I feel like there might be a kind of rejection of found footage in part because they dislike the intimacy that you're talking about. And I find that interesting because one of the last things I would call this film in particular is intimate. Um, it's, it's it's just something that I that I that I find interesting, where you have these directors that are a little more interested in showing something that doesn't have the veneer of pure and total authenticity in uh, in like the intimate way that you described before. But at the same time, they're not exactly doing something that's making their own worlds the most convincing thing in the world. I don't think it's a particularly a particularly controversial thing to say that Blair Witch Two is a very bad movie, and I would say that this is not on the same level as Blair Witch 2, but I would say that here it's not like, if you're going to dog the format of found footage, the format that I'm not crazy about in the first place, I would say you should probably have something that can actually hold the more interesting concepts, and I just feel like this director didn't. That was just something I wanted to get out um i i one thing i, I just wanted to mention about that that and just to, to clarify to our audience who might be thinking at this point that i'm saying this movie is different from the original and the air go bad is there's nothing wrong with deciding they want to do something completely original completely original or different with this material the fact the mere fact that it's not going for the same thing that it's not going for the same level of in intimacy and it's basically a different subgenre of horror entirely is, is not, you know, ruinous. That's not inherently a problem. I think that it is a problem when you take something that had these really strong components and you don't replace it with something that's equally as strong. That's my problem here. And I, and I, I like the way that you just, the, the way that you just phrased it in part because it just affirms the thing that I said before. I mean, I know that we're going to eventually talk about some of the more formal elements of the filmmaking here. But just to, I guess, to sort of hint at where it is that we're going to be going, it's not like this film has production values that can actually completely enrapture you and how authentic it is in its own right. I mean, I, I understand that one of the things that found footage gets criticized for more than just about anything else is that it's kind of the easy excuse for certain types of filmmakers. This isn't me saying it, this is the... This is the uh, people that have a disinterest in found footage where you can just pick up a camera and you don't have to put the same level of thought in as, say, any other sort of formal narrative or something like that. And you can very easily get away with how cheap and low your budget is and all that because there is so little production value. I mean, even stuff that's more supernatural, the convention, the, the conventional wisdom would be that it's more cheap and easy to do. But at the same time here it feels just as cheap and unprofessional and 
and sloppy as not as a found footage movie in its in its you know handheld format but i guess in conjunction to the actual narrative genre if if that makes sense what i'm saying right now yeah i i get what you mean i think that i mean we'll, we'll get to the production values and i think clearly they're you know this this movie look is low budget and it looks low budget my problem with the movie is not that it's clearly low budget at the end of the day i think that the, you know even i i it's just a part of me that's can pretty easily say what matters more is how it looks from like how creative what you're doing is and whether you're making the most of what you have so like if this was just if it was just that this this looks bad i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't be too bothered by it i have a problem because i it's not just that this looks cheap i think i think it looks i don't see them making the effort with what they have and i think there's a lot of times when the production design is poor and it's not just because of production values it's because of a lack of creativity yeah, so I, I feel like we should probably just delve into the production stuff now since we're already yeah. pretty much on the topic so one of the things that you just mentioned is that we can't completely ding that, that the most important thing about a movie is is maybe the is the execution of the ideas and not inherently just on the face of it the production value and while i can understand that philosophy um the production value in a lot of ways is just very intricately tied to the presentation and if the presentation is not working then then i mean the film's not going to work in a lot of cases you can have really simple stories that are presented in absolutely breathtaking and rapturing ways and you have and that would probably in most cases end up being a better movie than more complicated films that are presented in sort of dull ways like that's why star wars is is a great film and there are however many other movies that try to be slightly more complex but aren't as formally engaging i guess what i would say is the production value for me is a little bit more intricately tied into how well the movie is actually going to come across. Not to say that it is the only thing that matters. That's not to say that, oh, if a movie doesn't have convincing special effects consistently throughout the entirety of the film, it, it, it can't work. But I do think it does have to be reckoned with that, that this film presents a series of generally uncreative ideas and presents them in formally sloppy and amateurish ways and it does a very poor job of hiding its budget. Now, one of the things that you and I have talked about before, perhaps not on the podcast, but we've talked about how it is the responsibility of, of filmmakers that have lower budgets to do what they can to, to write on the level of their own budget, to, to meet their resources. Blockbusters have the ability to, to have these sorts of bombastic explosion fests because they have the budgets to make it look convincing. I, I'm sure it would be incredibly easy for the both for the both of us to think of a dozen, you know, air quotations, indie movies that get a little too ambitious with their screenplays in terms of like, oh, maybe I want to have an explosion here, and the, the they just don't have the budget to make it look good through either their digital effects or their practical effects or something like that. It's the responsibility of the filmmaker. The point I'm trying to make is to make sure that everything in their movie can look good. You have to know what you'll be able to accomplish. No, I, and, I don't I agree. Look, I, I agree with that sentiment. I'm just, I, I think that 
there's a part of me that can suspend my disbelief a little and so acknowledge that it would have looked better if the effect is good and and sort of moved on and tried to enjoy it as much as I can if it wasn't that the ideas were not you know were not creative if, if these were creative ideas and I'm I'm sitting there going oh this would have been really good if only it was a good effect you know that's a movie I could recommend I can't recommend a movie where the effects are bad and the ideas are bad and that that matters more to me than the effect the effects don't count for nothing I mean that that matters and I agree with you you need to write with an you need to write and direct with an understanding of your budget that's a big part of your job as a director or a producer or a writer is understanding what's feasible what actors you can get what their abilities are you know who what how much of a budget you're going to have and and what kind of locations you can use you know these are practical considerations and and if you write something that you cannot do or that just simply does not take your practical considerations into account then that's on no one but you but i also feel like i i'd you know at, at the end of the day the the reason this isn't working for me is not because because the effects are bad. The reason this isn't working for me is because these are not you know the effects aren't, aren't backing up anything. There's no there aren't interesting and creative ideas that they're, they're trying to betray. I, I don't really like the I don't really like what they're doing with it. So even if the effects were really good, I would still just be sitting there going, okay, this is this isn't creative and I'm not liking it. What I would say as a response to that is it's not just the effects that I'm talking about, though I'm sure we can both agree that for the most part, the effects in this film look very bad. I would agree with that, yeah. What what I'm thinking of is is some of the there, there are moments where uh, even even just basic filmmaking itself, not even the 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 effects, uh, convincing uh, tail that the monster has, or its wings, or the goofy hair that the one hench woman has. What I'm thinking of is. And, I, and I'll use this as an example because it's possibly, well, I know what my least favorite scene in the movie is, but I would certainly say that this is one of the more formally frustrating scenes in the movie for me, is when one of the friends gets attacked and carried out of the car by the, the, the Lilith. It, that that was the name that we're going to be using here, Lilith? The Lilith. They, 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 I've... We can call it the Lilith or whatever. Let's call it the Lilith. I think when, yeah, when, when, when Lilith comes swoops down by the car and takes one of the one of the friends out and attacks him the camera does this kind of I, it's it's really actually surprisingly difficult to describe because it is so complexly bad it is like they they made a digital change in post to make the angle of the camera spin around to replicate how disorientating it must have been for the guy to be taken out of the car so quickly and it looks extremely bad it looks very cheap it is entirely unconvincing and it's the type of thing where yeah you know you, I, I can think of an example like moonrise kingdom a, mo a movie that is w probably one of my very favorites but it's also a movie that has a moment where uh, uh, there's an explosion that doesn't look very good you could have cut around that but Wes Anderson, as a as a filmmaker, also knows that he has the formal talent to pull off some of the more complicated cinematography and production design and stuff like that. This one, yeah, maybe you realize, or maybe you don't realize that the tail on the monster doesn't look very good, but you also don't understand that you don't have the cinematographer, you don't have the crew that can actually pull off some of these more formal techniques. And I just there are just so many things about the filmmaking here that I just see as being very 
traditionally basic first-time director cliches. You have the the first of all, this movie is in the especially in the daytime. It's overexposed. Um, I, I agree. I, that's something I noticed so right away is it was it was very um, overexposed, which is yeah. strange because this is not you know this is not a first-time director. This you know he hasn't made like a lot of big budget stuff, but he this isn't even his first his first feature. He's done a feature before, which I have I have not seen. He's done he did Dante the the Great, and look, Dante the Great's pretty bad, but it's it it doesn't look like this. I, what I would say as a response to that is that my memory is that the majority of Dante the Great takes place at night, so the fact that it's overexposed isn't as much of a problem there. And not to say that you can't have scenes that are shot in inside or uh, at, at night that, that are affected by being overexposed, but I think most people would agree that during the daytime outside, that's when overexposure is at its most noticeable. And that's not me dogging uh, entirely on the idea of stuff being overexposed. I mean, you and I just recently watched Twin Peaks The Return, but there's an actual artistic reason for why that season looks as overexposed as it is here. It's just, it just really comes across as cheap, bad filmmaking. Yeah, so it's it's overexposed. Uh, there's an over-reliance on uh, canted angles or Dutch angles as they're more colloquially <clears throat> as they're more colloquially referred to as where it's just sort of a, a tilted angle uh during more uh, tense action sequences there's a very awkward slow motion chase through a hallway that is it, it, it there's it's a very eclectic series of basic filmmaking tropes that comes across as this filmmaker just did not really have a particularly strong hand at a consistent vision of what the movie was even really going to look like. It, it generally lacks discipline. And that I found that pretty consistently frustrating that for me, formally, there was almost nothing even... I'm not going to say that the, the form was entirely incompetent because I can certainly think of films that I would be more comfortable, where I would be more comfortable using that word. But I would also say that this film really doesn't get the usual accolades that you and I usually talk about when we talk about highly generic horror films of, well, at least there's the basic competency of the filmmaking. Well, I actually kind of can't really say that here because for the most part, its cheapness is completely worn on its sleeve. And it's, I understand that for some other people, that's something that you can get over a little bit more, uh, a, little, a little bit easy, a little bit more easy than I can. It, it was something that really actively distracted me here in part probably because i was very much not invested in just about everything that was happening in this movie well let's actually let's let's talk about so what's what's happening in this movie because i think i actually agree with because i agree with that i i think that that's something i i do agree with i think a lot of it is there's a lot of, of basic filmmaking issues here that it's not just budget it's this clear this is this doesn't seem like it's from someone who really has a perfect handle of how to make a movie yet uh and look, I, 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 that might sound like even harsher than I mean it. Uh, I, I have kind of a more of a muted response to this. I don't, I don't passionately hate it. I don't think it's atrocious, but, and I, I think, you know, there are, there's, there's, I'm, we're going to get into it. There are a few things here that I do like, but that clearly, like, this isn't, there's a lot of problems here that even without the budget, like, they, they could have handled, they, they didn't have to look like this. It, it could have been, there are, I, I agree. I think that they, with pretty much everything Grayson says, and I think a lot of those problems are, are stuff that they could have been been fixed. Maybe if they had more time, because apparently they shot this in like 19 days, 
or mm. something. Like they, they did not have a lot of time to shoot this movie. Again, this is very low budget. Apparently, post production was quite rushed. Like they, they really didn't have a lot of time to make this. And then, yeah, it kind of shows uh, this. Yeah. I mean, so I, I can understand that as an excuse. Um, if I make the movie I, better, though. You no, know, what, what I would say is I could be wrong about this, but I think that, you, I mean, you say something like that. Also, Quentin Tarantino wrote Reservoir Dogs in like three weeks. So if you had more talented people producing this, yeah, regardless of whether you're being rushed or not, you you could still make something that's worth that's worth something. So let's get so I get into what it's about. Um, so the the four the thing with a lot of things we both sort of mentioned in overview for of Amateur Night, which uh, if you if any of you have listening haven't uh, heard that yet, that's the uh, overview of VHS. That's the first segment from that. We agreed that the you know these characters. You know, one of the things about this movie, and something even Greg Bishop, who directed Siren, recognizes, is that they're they're bad people in the original short. Like the the main leads, the guys who are going out and trying to meet women, they they are doing so with the goal of doing a really terrible thing, which is to you know, in the original short, a guy puts like a camera on his glasses, and their goal is to go out and have sex with a woman. Great people. Well, yeah, I mean, well, they're no, raping people. I mean, that's not the goal. The goal is... Well, well they're trying to... Well, they're intentionally trying to get them them drunk so that way they can take them back to their place and they're not, you know, essentially conscious uh, yeah. and then they have sex with them, so... Well, that's that's actually an exaggeration because they, they, they whether they, they that's the goal. The, the goal is to have let's sex. Let's, 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 let's agree to not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. They, they, the goal is to go, they put on glasses and they go out to have sex with people and film them without their consent, which is a shitty thing to do. That is something, that is, it's not just a shitty thing to do. It's something that if you do that, you are a bad person. These, they've replaced them with protagonists that, according to Bishop, they wanted us to have more empathy with. And what they replaced them with are, peop are people who are yeah, clearly you know, are better people, you know, they, they, they take active measures to, to help others. You know, the, the main lead and the, 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 you know, we talk, I talk every once in a while about the, but for a moment in a horror movie, but for this, you would have lived the, but for a moment in this movie is if it was not for him deciding to put the lock on, uh, the Lilith's, um, uh, door and letting her free, he would have survived, and the reason he he died, all these he I mean, he survives, but the reason his friends die is because he sees that someone is locked up and thinks that you know there's something really wrong here. It might be this might be human trafficking, and decides that he needs to to rescue her. And so then on its on its surface, you know these are more likable, in quotes, people. You know they're not they're not bad, they're not evil, they don't do anything particularly evil, but they're also even less interesting you know the the main lead from the original short wasn't like he wasn't shakespeare a shakespearean level of like drama or anything but you know there was something interesting about his reluctance to do this and how uncomfortable his friends clearly made him and it was it was an identifiable character trait that was actually that actually came through through a performance that was Pretty good, not amazing, yeah. but pretty good. And and part of that does come from what you talked about before about found footage having an intimacy and a privacy in a way. Like even something as as large scale as Cloverfield has a certain sort of intimacy to it, just because of the format of found footage inherently. So yeah, I, no, I, 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 I understand what you're saying. Very, and I, I do think there's something very, you know, 
identifiable about you know because the, the camera was on his glasses and the way he moved and the camera work in in that segment, which really gave me the sense of like how drunk he was and how he was sort of responding to things. And and so let's compare him for a moment to Jonah, who is the protagonist from this movie and is a much better person because he has no desire to rape anyone or have sex with anyone and record them without their their will uh, and has and does active measures to free people who are in bad situations. And I've been sort of thinking since I, w I watched it last night, I've been sort of thinking about why I had this very, I have a very muted response to him. I don't dislike him. I don't think that, I, I, you know, I think he's doing a, a not a bad job, but he's just doing a, a, a sort of generically mediocre, passable job. He's not fucking up any lines. He uh, does, he does at times show fear quite well. Uh, he's not, I don't think that he's, I think there's other moments where I'm, I'm not as, into his performance, but I think that you know he's he's fine. He's nothing that that's particularly exciting. I uh, nothing that really talk about so much. But I think what it is is there's just there's not much to his character besides general discomfort with the situation. Like besides I'm loyal to my to my fiance and I don't really like the situation. This isn't me. I don't really know what he's like because I don't know what defines him. I just know what doesn't define him. I know that that's that's it. That's a, that's a really good way of, of describing it, and I, 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 I'll, I'll let you finish what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. I I know that he doesn't want to really want to do drugs, and he doesn't really want to do dr to drink, and he doesn't really like the idea of going to strip clubs and meeting women, and he definitely doesn't want to cheat on his fiance. But I, that's not. But knowing that, and knowing that he's generally a good guy type, isn't the same as knowing who he is. It isn't the same as really having a character. And that's not to say there's nothing. It's not to say he's just a block of wood. I mean, clearly, he has a general care for other people's human be you know, well-being, and is you know, there's just there's always going to be something a little more endearing about that than someone who's just a complete piece of shit, and it's completely unironic, and uh, you know, some, some you know, a lot of horror movies, the kind of generic character you have in a lot of horror movies, but. You know, that's not going to be someone that I can watch through this whole thing and really feel like I'm rooting for, especially because I know pretty much nothing about his relationship with his fiance. The only scene, there's only two scenes basically throughout the movie until the ending. And I, I want to have a section specifically to talk about the ending. So we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. We, ha we have any interaction between him and his wife. It's the very first scene where all that they do is she you know, they're, they're role-playing being rough, and he's like, oh, no, I can't I can't be rough. I'm not that kind of guy, which is, again, him being defined by things he is not rather than things he – better than what he is. And, you know, she says, hey, like, the strip clubs are okay, but don't go to, like, see your, like, stuff than that. And then there's, like, one scene later where she calls him, and he's, and he's like, he's just escaped the, the Lilith. And basically he's like, oh, I love you, and I can't talk and bye. So – with so few interactions between him and his fiance, I can't even be really root for him to get back with the person that the movie clearly wants me to root for him to get back with. Yeah. So, so what I would I, what I would say as a response to that, well, I, I have a couple things to say. So, first of all, I'll I'll start on the point of you talking about him as a character, and what I would say is that for the most part, this movie functions in. Uh, as a as a fairly generically structured horror movie where characters are, I don't know if I would necessarily say they're just there to die, but 
in, it's not exactly like it's something where it's a character. Uh, piece it's like three. two steps above that. Yeah, yeah, I, would, I, like, I yeah, like, I, I would agree with that. It's like what, what I would above this day to die. Yeah, I so what what I'm thinking of is those types of goody goody characters are more often than not, even if this is a couple of notches uh, in, in terms of attempt at quality above something like a Friday the 13th, I would still say the general principle of the goody-goody characters are not really the ones that actually end up leaving as much of an impact on you in in this type of environment. Not to say that, again, that's a complete stereotype, but not to say that goody-goody characters can't be, can't be really well-written and X, Y, or Z. I don't mean to be generalizing as much but when you're kind of talking about a genre that is openly acknowledging that it is not as interested in being particularly sophisticated i don't know the 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 goody goody characters to me are just inherently not going to be the ones that stand out i i think you made a, a very strong point about about uh he is never really defined by who he actually is he's more defined by how it is that he rejects the stuff that the people around him end up doing. I thought that was a very good point. What I would also say is going along with my point about how a lot of the times I see film as being more of a presentation of an idea. It's the it's about the presentation of an idea. Not to say that the idea it would be really nice if the idea was was good, but more than anything else, if you can make something convincing, then it can ultimately work. Um, what I would say is that I disagree with you. I I really was not particularly impressed with his performance. And I would actually say that about most of the performances in the movie, that it came across as a CW kind of supernatural show. Well, I, I don't know if you um, know what I mean by that, but it's this kind of thing where you have a group of attractive young people who are generally expected to not, they're not really given the strongest range of emotion because at the end of the day, I think the producers know that the stuff that they're best at is standing around and looking pretty because that's what a conventional horror audience, whether they're comfortable admitting it or not, is ultimately looking for as a protagonist. That's that's just how I how I feel about uh, about that. So as a result, I, I really just don't end up getting that terribly invested in his character. Because I, I, it's not that I can't, like, like you said before, it's not like he's constantly fucking up his lines, but it's not like he's really selling me uh, in any particular moment that, oh, this man is this guy. I, I think actually even I actually think the even bigger problem than me not caring about his character is that I don't care about his relationships with these other characters because that's even more important to liking this movie than liking the character is understanding his relationship with he, the other groomsmen, specifically his brother and his best friend Rand. Uh, the other friend Elliot dies pretty unfairly. Who, who, who cares? Just he's 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 a flat comic relief character for the most part. He's literally he's literally just at the level of he's there to die. Um, like that's that's basically it. Uh, but like with Rand is is the there's there's the least. There is literally nothing to establish their relationship except they're really close. Like really cl except for he's the best friend. I know nothing about their relationship, the dynamic, how they talk, how they function. You know, there's a reason that most movies, there's like friend, you know, they're trying to show friends, there's some banter, or there's like a fun thing they'll do or some, you know, there's a reason for that. It's because understanding a friendship is understanding the kind of dynamic people have. 
different friends have different kinds of dynamics. You know, case in point, you know, the reason, you know, I don't talk the same way with you, Grayson, as I do with some of my other friends. Different, we, I have different dynamics with different kinds of people. I'm sure you do as well. When I'm with you, right. I talk about movies incessantly, and well, I, I talk about movies incessantly with all my friends, but that's, that's besides the point. They don't like it as much as you do. Same but, thing you know, on your end, by the way. You know, there's a reason for that. That's important. You know, even movie. Like, I, I, you know, Their entire relationship comes across as though it's just dictated to us that, oh, we are friends, are we not? That kind. It's that kind of level of dialogue writing. Yeah, and it's basically, you know, the, literally, like, the, the first interaction is just the two of them. And actually, one of the only ones that is just the two of them is is just in going, you know, you're my best friend since childhood and... I, I should have made you my best man and not my brother. And it's it's very, yeah, it's we're being dictated, this is my friend. I like him a lot, rather than understanding what that means for him and how they talk. And, you know, a relationship is a character the same way a person is a character. And that's key to any movie that's, or TV show or even real life. You know, a romantic relationship in Annie Hall is not the same thing as a romantic relationship in... Uh, in Scream, for example, those these different relationships have different characters the same way, and you know that's the case with him and Rand. That's also the case with him and Mac. I mean, there's there's a step above him and Rand because there's interactions where you know they'll that you know there's more of a talk about how he actually views Mac, which is you know he Mac Mac his brother is is portrayed as being very as being really wild and being uh, and and wanting to do this crazy stuff and not having a real respect for these other people, like he, if, when Elliot dies, he just goes the other guy who died, like literally just says that, and and that really upsets uh, the Jonah, uh, the protagonist, and you know the extent of what the interactions we have with them are. We have some more time because there's time in the woods where they're trying to get away, but a lot of that dialogue is just about. I'm going to get away dialogue. Like, we need to do this to get away from the creature. You see what the conversation's about. And I think the only other real moment, at least before the ending in the church, where Mac basically kills himself, Mac tells himself, gets himself killed, uh, trying to rescue his brother, is just like a couple lines of dialogue where Jonah expresses that he's a little, that he doesn't really, really love his brother so much. And again, that's more, that's not nothing. But it's not that much more because, once again, character is being dictated to us. It's the difference between if someone came to me and, you know, if I was watching a movie and the lions were, this is a human being and they have a human face and they're human. And if I was told in a dialogue, this is the person, they're nice, they have an issue with blah, 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 and they have a relationship with blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's I'm being dictated more information, but I'm not really being dictated and not I'm, not, I'm not seeing any of what I need to for me to actually be invested in this relationship. And that's critical. Do you say that all of those details extend to, to the brother as well? No, uh, no, no I was moving, I moved on to the, his relationship with the, Oh, the, you, he, not quite as much. I do think the, the brother has look, the brother is, def, is, clearly defined in opposition to to Jonah the protagonist but you know that that's something that's more than Jonah is just he's basically just portrayed as not his brother but 
his brother is, you know, he, we do see more. He, he's actually doing stuff that is is character building in a sense. the The reason it doesn't work is because ultimately, me liking that character is defined by his relationship to his brother. That's that's the importance of his of his role in the story. So me liking him is is very dependent on that. Since I don't, you know, regardless of the fact that I, I do think that you know. I'm not going to say there's strong character development, but there is character development. Not a lot of it, but, you know, we, he is more of a character than, than any of the other uh, groomsmen or Jonah is. But he's not, but he's, he's not really, he's not fulfilling his role in the story. And that's what really matters when, you're, when you have characters. It's not characterization for characterization's sake. It's characterization so that he can f adequately fulfill a role in caring about the protagonist and 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 that doesn't work i mean do you disagree or I, I definitely agree with everything you're saying i think the reason that i brought him up specifically is um is that is that i called out most of the performances in this movie save for one that i know we're going to talk about in particular um i would say that the majority of the performances in this movie are are cw level the reason that i wanted to bring up the brother in particular is because i actually thought that there were a couple of moments where he was sort of drop like act actively dropping the ball on his lines so that, yeah, that was no, why I, I brought him up. I, I would I would probably say that I think that the brother was probably giving the weakest performance in the movie uh the pre I mainly that, because yeah. mainly because I I just, I just thought that there especially earlier on there are a couple of moments where I understand that he's supposed to be having a sort of frat bro kind of delivery but he doesn't even really have the kind of cadence or charisma to even pull that off as being the type of person that could rally a crowd to to like him he did he just sort of flatly says a lot of the dialogue out loud like come on man that's what we're going to do like like a sort of delivery that sounds somewhat like that and it, it just it, it was completely not believable believable to me pretty much from the beginning I, I think you're right about the performance. I think I think the perform. I I, th I would agree that he's giving the weakest performance in in the movie. Uh, and a lot of that I think comes from yeah. A lot of it's just sort of basic. He's fucking up his lines. That's you know just just there's a lot of lines that just feel misdelivered, and that could be anything from issues with just him as an actor to they didn't have time to do or energy or money or the will power to do uh do any reshoots. Uh, I I think I would agree with that, but I do think that he is more of a character than his compatriots in that grouping of characters are. I say he's giving a good performance because he's not obviously not. You're not going to get my my I me. Mean, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you there. He he clearly is not giving a. He's clearly. I I think I'd agree that that he's giving the worst performance of the of the film. I am wondering then. So, what did you think of the um? Since we're talking about performances. What do you think of the sort of moving on from these guys? What do you think of uh, of Mister Nick, so the the um, the the antagonist of of the film? What do you think of his performance? Yeah, so I mean, clearly he's giving the best performance in the movie. What I would say I is that it's I, I it, is that it's him and, him and, is that him and Feynman, uh, but Feynman doesn't have enough time for it to really stand out. So besides yeah. besides that, I think what what I what I would say about his performance is that it's it's really clear that he's the only one that as a character had anything even to really work with from scene to scene. I mean, the the, the actor is very obviously excited to be there. Uh, the the writing around the character, there are things that 
are given to him as a performer that he can deliver in a way that could potentially be charismatic. What I would say as a response is there are times where I feel like the like the character itself, the delivery of this character, it's just it's trying a little too hard to be memorable. Really? Um, try, trying to be someone that stands out a little bit too much. I feel like I feel like there are a couple of times where the actor sort of understood that he was the only one that was giving a performance that was really worth anything, to be perfectly honest. And I feel like he sort of indulged a little bit. Now, this wasn't a super frequent thing. It was it was just something that I felt like happened a couple of times where um, he just sort of plays I, I the, the especially the especially hammy kind of villain. But I, I did I did ultimately enjoy the performance, and it would it would frankly I, I, I'm just probably going to spill my spill the cards on the table right now. It's pretty much the only thing about the movie that I actually liked was this guy's performance. And uh, there, there were some moments where I was legitimately amused by the stuff that he was saying. I didn't even, I, I actually, go, go step forward. I, I, I actually don't, don't, can't think of any moments that I thought he was particularly, he was particularly indulgent. He, I actually think, I'm going to expand it and say, I think that, because there's, there's more from this that I actually like. I like a lot of the stuff involving his character. Like, not just him, but his character and the things going on in his club and the and so the the world around this guy is is clearly the most interesting thing in in the whole movie that he's basically wanting a a supernatural uh brothel that he's that he's trapped like he, he's basically trafficking him in memories and and the way he talks and this he and i think it's sort of backed up with it he's he betray, he's portraying this guy as someone who clearly has this he has this almost very matter of fact sort of like they are friendly and genial, and but he also he knows everything, and he knows the amount of power that that gives him. That he knows a lot more than everyone else in the room does. He's, he's a very that's interesting that you say that. I'd say he's 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 really quite good, uh, and he's I, I I actually like most of what. It's the reason actually I I kind of like that that part of the movie in the club is is largely because of him and the world built around him. He's he's a much better idea for this movie than than the the premise of the movie is yeah and and it's it's very very clear that the filmmakers agree with what you're saying that they're more invested in showing his world and his club than how it is exactly that the Lilith character has really been tortured and really just all of that that entire section of the movie what i guess i would say is that i i can i can understand why it is that you would be interested in the logistics of some of the stuff that <clears throat> that this character is sort of dealing with. I, I, I was I was interested in some of the ideas uh, like, like the the leeches of the hair and the and the stuff of the memories. I feel like in almost every case we were missing just maybe one more moment for me to really feel like it actually felt completely ingrained into the world that into into the club environment that these guys were in. I, I guess I never really got the best sense of how it was that these other participants, like outside of the main characters, what it was that they would really be getting out of being in this drug scene. We never really see any of them indulging in stuff. We just sort of see them. We, we kind see of a bit of having, it. Oh, no, no. Well, well if, if we'll just, just let me say, yeah. I mean, we, we see them indulging in, in the more sexual elements, but I, I'm saying the actual drugs themselves, which is, which is a very, which is to me is where most of the interesting stuff happens. I, I like the idea of the leeches of the drink. I, I like the concept of that, but we never really see what it is that would get people's rocks off 
about that stuff. We just see how it negatively impacts people. The sex stuff, I'm not interested in at all. I think I think that that's a very easy idea to to say. Oh, what it would what would it be like if if somebody wanted to get their sick this sexual fetish off with X, Y, or Z. I mean, there are a lot of movies that are like that, and, and a topic that we will eventually need to talk about is, is about how this movie takes from a variety of other uh, a variety of other horror movies. That's Hostel. Hostel is about people that get a sick pleasure from from torturing people, and and to an extent, that's what a lot of this stuff is, where it's these people that are actively trying to hurt other people, or they get pain or they get pleasure out of doing just a variety of things. I mean, this is not a unique idea in and of itself. I just feel like the elements that I was interested in were just a little underdeveloped, but they are there. And so I can understand why it is that you would have some interest in them. I, I mean, we, you know, we don't say as much about the, the drugs and why they're interested in, in that, though. I imagine that the, the you know, that so you're right about that. I, I do think actually we get the, the stuff with wanting to have I haven't seen Hostel, so I can't refute that point. But I think some of the stuff with the brothel is is still interesting. I, you know, and it also is this. There clearly is a large variety of different things there, and it's not just torturing. I mean, it's also you know that there's a we we see that there's a section of that brothel, for example, where people can see you know ex loved ones, you know the, the departed departed uh, loved ones again, for example. So I think we get more of a sense of maybe not why the drinks, for example, would be appealing. Though I think kind of the point is that it's not meant for humans, or it's not meant for him, or that he's she's giving him something that particularly is bad because he's being annoying. So you are right about that, but I think that we get a sense of why this this place in general would be appealing for someone, and why in this 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 location overall would have uh, appeal. Like why? Why someone would I, want I to guess, go there and, and see these things and experience these things? I guess what I would say is that uh, I mean, one thing that we haven't mentioned so far is that is this movie is extremely short. It's it's barely over eighty minutes, and and without the credits, it isn't over eighty minutes. And I feel like we've we've pretty much agreed that this movie is to an extent it's split between its interests in in showing you about the, the stuff with the, with Lilith and the stuff with uh, with the villain who looks like. Gavin McGinnis, who founded the Proud Boys, which I found a little amusing. Look up a picture of Gavin McGinnis, and if you actually have seen this movie, and you look at the guy, you'll know that it's it just it is Gavin McGinnis. He looks exactly like Gavin McGinnis, and I, as a result, I will be referring to him as Gavin McGinnis for the rest of this episode. Um, the the stuff with Gavin McGinnis versus the stuff with Lilith, it's split, and we feel, and I feel like it's not really focusing enough on either one of them for it to be interesting. So I, I, again, I can understand what you're saying. I just feel like we don't have enough time to really indulge in the environment that much. And it also really does not help that the production design of, of the sex dungeon that they're in is extremely weak. It, it, there, is, that. Yeah. Uh, there, it, there is nothing. It's, it's, it was really funny because earlier on in the movie, they have a sequence when they are when they go to what is supposed to be this really hot awesome strip club and they go in and it's apparently lame i don't know but i i mean filmmaking wise they just don't do a particularly good job of showing off why it is that it's a lame strip club i, I think I, I get the sense about why just just from seeing i, I think they portray it fine but i mean i mean it's uh, it, to me it's it's about as as pathetic and quiet as just about any other strip club would probably end up being but we get to this other one, and it's, I mean, the room that they're in, 
is built up to be this place that is just it's like uh it's like some freaky stuff there's women everywhere you can like do it like it like basically like a less formal eyes wide shut kind of situation is what we're built up to to be to see and we even have the same sort of mansion exterior that we have in eyes wide shut and to get there it's basically just somebody's high end basement i mean it's it really it, they do it, explain that it, cha- it it changes locations no, I know, I know, I know, I, oh, no, I, I understand that. I'm saying that it looks lame, though. I mean, the party looks lame. It's not really very crowded. And one of the things that really shows off how how underfunded this film is, really, to begin with, is they don't even want to show you the environment that they're in. There are no wides. You never actually get a particularly good sense of what it is that this main bar area looks like because. They realized that if they showed it, it looked pretty fucking lame. I mean, I think what we have is maybe a stage that's about 10 feet long max. And we have maybe eight tables. I mean, it's it's, and a bar. I mean, it's really, really not the groovy place that it was built up to be. And... The sex dungeon is is it just comes across as as a lame, just a, a place that is it it just looks like the floor of one of the producers' buildings. Frankly, it ju- it just does not look like place that you would actually stage an exciting action horror sequence. It's it just isn't. I agree with that. I think the production design of this movie is very weak, and I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't figured. I haven't found this anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was just some producer's house. And it doesn't look creepy, and uh, you're right. Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the issues with the the, the art issues with production design this section. I think a lot. Of, I, I like the character and the uh, of the the main uh, the main guy enough that kind of pushes me me forward. And there are things I like about this location, just as a as a, as it characterizes this this idea of this place. But I, I agree, there's not really. It, it, its production design is is very very weak. And again, that's not just budget that's that's on them that's, that's as the- as per our conver- as per our earlier conversation where we talk about how that is that is ultimately their fault one of the other things that i that i wanted to bring up that where you were talking about the supernatural element and we we should probably use a little bit more of the time to talk about the the uh, titular siren because we've we've uh, for for understandable reasons we've largely ignored her because for a pretty significant part of the movie she is just not She's not only not a presence, but she's not really relevant to much of what we're seeing, which is really bizarre. One of the things that I was that that I'll just say that I questioned, and I'll I'll bring this up to you um, about the opening is we pretty much establish right from the beginning what it is that we're going to end up finding later on in the movie, and we learn from the very beginning that oh, there is this sort of like weird kind of looks like a vampire kind of young monster that's be but, but we know that it is a supernatural monster from the very beginning so we're immediately told exactly what it is that we're dealing with from the very beginning and what its abilities for the most part are and so by the time that we actually meet the character later on I'm I'm in a way I'm I'm actually less intimidated because I feel like to an extent I actually know where it is that it's going. I feel like it would have been a stronger reveal if we just sort of have this woman that was just sort of kind of kind of a little weird and he ends up rescuing her, but then he finds out as the movie goes along that he's a monster. How, how do you feel about that as a point? Because I know something about the production of this, I'm, I'm going I'm to mention it. Uh, the director in, in an interview that uh, interview I mentioned talked about 
how everyone did talk about how everyone knows going in that this thing is is dangerous and that is based and basically he made it my understanding from reading that and my and also from watching this is that he made it with the expectation that everyone who's seen this movie has seen amateur night and knows that it's based on it that's a and, that's a sloppy conceit. That that's a sloppy conceit. But yeah, please continue. The, um, and I think his idea was that there would be something scary about us seeing him with this person and knowing that she could snap any minute, and then you know, and then still waiting for it. I don't think that works. Partly because I, I think sometimes subtlety can go a long way. The nice thing about the original segment is we got that same effect without being told in advance about who this person is just by seeing that there's something clearly off about her. Here they have the worst of both worlds in that there is a, in that A, we're told explicitly what she is and what she can do from the very beginning. So even though the character is ultimately surprised by it, we're not. And B, there's not, it's not as clear that there's something wrong with her. I mean, yes, she, you know, he goes into the room and she stings for, sings for him and he has this, you know, like existentially like, like sexual, uh, like experience. Like he, he lives all of these, these sexual things going on or imagines them or, or whatever. And there's clearly something supernatural about this. But up until the moment, when she kills that guy, it's not as clear that there's something wrong with her. And a lot of that is because, because we don't have time with her because we, we meet her and then there's a chase scene in the hallway and it's an action horror and it's an action scene. And we don't get any time for this character to marinate. I feel like it would have been better. The better option, if they were going to do this, the better option, either way, the better option would have been for them to get out of the house and escape and be successful. And then we have time to see that there's something clearly wrong with her. And then we see that torn. That could have worked better either way what they were doing. The problem with this is we both, there's, there's nothing creep really that, it's just not as creepy before there's the attack or there's nothing about her that strikes me as dangerous. And again, we've been told outright that there's something wrong with her. I mean, and, and look, I don't usually like doing reviews where I just say what I would have done. And there's a good reason for that. You know, the, just because it's not the movie I would have made does not mean that it's bad. And there's far too many film critics in the world whose negative reviews of movies are, well, it's not what I would have done. But at the same time, like, I don't know necessarily what the right answer is. Maybe my idea would have been really bad, too. But clearly what's happening here isn't working. And the biggest issue is that we're just not getting time for this performance to marinate. Simon's doing as well as she can. I mean, the singing that she's doing is, is, is wonderful. That's really her voice on the track. And she is she has an amazing voice and has this very otherworldly quality. And I can see why there'd be something that would attract people towards it and why it might provoke this kind of experience. But and I don't think, look, I'm not going to say she's giving a bad performance. Anything. She's not, she's doing as good as she can, but there's, she needs time. 
She needs space. She needs attention. And this movie has no patience for it. And I'm just so wondering, like they, they really pushed for this actress to be in it. They really pushed to, to keep her in the movie and to have her repeat, to give, give her performance again here. But if you're not going to give her the time to really stand out and give a good performance and give a performance that's, that's worthy of what we've seen she can do from the, the first uh, VHS movie from Amateur Night, why, why bring her back? In that case, you can just put anyone else in this role. And I, I want to make clear, that's really not a criticism of the actress. She's doing as good a job as she can. And in the few moments when she's really given a chance to act, she does a good job. But, you know, the biggest example of this is there's a part in the diner when she's like, he's trying to get away from her. And the big line that she says, like, throughout the first v VHS movie from out Amateur Night is, I like you. I mean, it's very, like this very kind of, this tone that's both really creepy and has this like liking to it and, and feels like she is like this kind of a, this, it's a very, it's hard to describe all the ways that, that line, that line. It's like, it's like works. an, it's like an earnest breathy delivery of it. It's, it's, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. It's really, really good. She, and by the way, that's the only, one of the only lines that she has. She has very few, and she has, I mean, she says a lot, but she does not have a lot, a lot, of, there's not a lot of things she says in the amateur night. She delivers the fuck out of that line. In this one, they, they repeat it just, they have it just once in this movie. And I guess maybe they, they just wanted to reference it. But if I remember sitting there and, and seeing that and just thinking, well, why, first of all, why, why did she even say that? And second, just thinking, this is just not, not something that's using her talents here. That saying this line in the middle of an action scene, and in, in that same way, it's it's like if you were going to 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 remake Casablanca and he is looking at a new kid who's in the middle of an action scene. And no, it's not to the same extent, obviously, but where it's something that clearly doesn't this movie clearly under, doesn't understand why Amateur Night works and what worked about that line and what worked about her performance. And there's a part of me that wonders maybe maybe there was a better option than for an action horror if this is what they were going to do with this character maybe there was you know maybe fire fi fireman is better did for well i really hope it's actually pronounced fireman or and not fearman because it's spelled f-i-r-e-r that would be really stupid if i just called been calling a fireman for this whole time and it's not her name oh well you know maybe it's just not this is just this kind of thing is just not suited for what her performance is. And that's a shame because again, it's, I mean, I mean, it. it's one of the best performances in the franchise from the from amateur night. It's, 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 a, it's strong. And it's the, one of the best things in that segment and none of it is used here. And it goes back to what I, I, I've also been saying, which is one thing I, I think I said a lot earlier, which is pretty almost nothing of what I like about amateur night is in this movie. Not absolutely nothing, but almost nothing. That's not just because they're going for something different, though it's partly because of that. It's it's also because they just don't really have a handle on how these elements work. You're right, the, the movie is, is just extremely disinterested in this character. For good portions of the movie, she's not on screen at all. And she's kind of being yeah. ignored, and she's not even the main, main antagonist. You know, if, if you wanted your movie to really just be about 
this evil guy and his uh and his and his like brothel and there's an escape just make it you know then then make it like SC, scp containment breach and have them all get out and have general mayhem or if you want to make a movie about this specific character then make it about this specific character and have her be the focus and let her be the focus this is, this is the thing that I was saying before about how I just feel like this is a movie that, like, on a formal level, it's clear, but also on a writing level, it's clear. It just lacks a discipline. It it lacks cohesion, and I and I found it just consistently irritating throughout my viewing of it. Just sort of moving on. So, Amateur Night is, in a way, a commentary on not a commentary, but it is certainly critical of this way of approaching women that the the men in that short has and i guess i just want to talk about this this movie's view of sexuality because it's it's certainly something that's throughout this movie the you know the the main character the main antagonist that not the main character she's not really the main antagonist but you know the the lilith is is naked the entire time though clearly not as sexualized as it goes on, or sexualized in quite the same way, not just for titulation, but uh, and uh, one of the scenes in the movie that is the most uh, the most graphic is is essentially is a rape scene. I mean, she she takes Jonah, the the protagonist, to you know a, a, a field basically, and and she has sex with him. Completely against his will, and it's a it's a uh, a very distressing scene. I guess I've also been thinking about how this movie approaches sexuality, and beyond whether that that scene was appropriate, which probably it wasn't. I, I guess th- though it was in a way probably one of the more effective scenes in the movie in terms of being scary, because there was something genuinely quite distressing about that scene. I, I've been so sort of, I don't really have as definitive an answer to this. So may, Grayson, maybe you have something that could maybe you can provide some insight on what how is this movie really addressing sexuality and how what's its sort of take does or does it have Um, i guess i guess one of the things that i was thinking about as a reference point while watching this uh scene was alien and i i don't know if you know about how the the some of the thought process behind the whole chestburster scene was was about the uh, about the idea of male rape and paranoia around that. I I can certainly say that I I found the scene to be pretty tasteless. I I don't really know if I would say that I I thought that it was necessary to really have that entire scene in the movie. I mean, I, I feel like one of the things that I find kind of bizarre and, and part of why I think it is that I, I really was kind of conflicted to sort of talk about a topic that we were on before about whether we're actually sympathetic to this monster by the very end of the, of the film. I'm not really sure how, how self-aware this movie is about her interest in sexuality. So you have this main character who, or, or the, the antagonist, uh, Gavin McGinnis, who has essentially kidnapped her and turned her into a sex slave. And I'm not sure if this is supposed to be some sort of commentary on, on the way, the only way that she can experience joy is by forcing this sort of anxiety and and horrible sexuality onto uh, onto other people kind of like a Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks kind of situation if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I can't really tell if it's that or if it's or if it's just 
she seemed to be interested in interested in sex in the short film, so she's going to be doing it here. And I feel like how graphic the rape ends up being is is a little unnecessary. Where you see that her tail basically become like gets shoved up his up up his butt, and it's it's just it's really just kind of disconcerting. And this is not a double standard. I have I I consistently have and would definitely have the same reaction if 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 there was the implication that a guy was 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 forcing things inside of a of a woman in a rape scene. I'm I sorry, think what for, one one minor point I just want to make uh and then we'll go back to this is it doesn't even actually make sense that she does that because later on it's it's made clear because the way she kills Nix uh is she you know she basically uses her tail as like a spear like a like a like a arrow or something, like as a to pierce through his yeah. brain and so I mean if I don't understand so it, that doesn't make sense with its use as a as a sexual organ there i mean well, what i i so think like i think what i would say is that i mean what what i would say is that first of all um that's not to say that even if it wasn't sharp she would she couldn't still be doing that i mean like he you know part of yeah, but i don't think he really thought through it well I, I i would actually say that, it, that 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 moment is is more of a of a of a of a comment on how inconsistent or no not not inconsistent how how silly um, that death even is in the first place, because from my memory, her tail is pretty consistently not that kind of sharp, jagged yeah, right. uh, yeah. thing. So, so it's actually more just stupid for the way that they end up killing Gavin McGinnis. Um, but I mean, and and I don't want to get into the whole you know logistics of the whole thing because that's just not something that I'm very interested in doing. And I feel like for the most part, it's a, it's fair to generalize and say that the listeners would not be very interested in us getting into so much of the logistics of the of the rape scene. But I I don't really know how self aware this movie is actually being about the way that this character has really impacted this woman and i feel like for the most part since this guy is portrayed in a kind of you know i mean he about as happy-go-lucky as a sex trafficker could possibly be portrayed i don't know i feel like that might be a little a little little uncomfortable that we're that we're portraying him in such a positive kind of charismatic light then i'm not really sure exactly uh, how it is that I feel about the entire presentation. All I know is that I thought that the scene was needlessly explicit, and I, j- I just really was uncomfortable in a way that I didn't feel for the rest of the movie. And again, just want to make this as clear as possible, I would be saying the same thing if it was a rape scene that was as generally unnecessary as it is in this one, if it was a man and a woman, or a man raping a woman, I should say. Man raping a man, or woman raping a woman, or or, um, yeah. or yeah. Uh, in the case of one particular film, I can think of a tree raping a woman. And as a side oh. note, Sam Raimi has apologized for that. I don't think, yeah, I, I, I don't think this guy has, though. To be fair, I, I, this film is so obscure, I don't think that anyone's clamoring for one. I, I think just moving to a more general conversation about the sexuality that this film sort of spouses, there's definitely this idea... Of, and this isn't good or bad necessarily. This is something I've noticed of sexuality as being very dangerous in this movie. That's and that's something you see a lot in horror, and it's something you see a lot, even not just like recent days. That's from old old days. I mean, you know, I think you can make an argument before there were there were horror anything 
there were old legends about you know the the creatures out in the out in the wild out at sea that that could get you and a and a very very common trope of that was was you know the you know mermaids or or sirens or or whatever or succubuses who would who would lure lure men sexually and then and then kill them and that's that's what this is that's what this you know that's that's what this is sort of a so the view it's having is containing a very long witch tradition, you know, that stems back as long as there have been stories that were meant to scare and teach people things that sexuality is dangerous and that it can get you killed and that it is, and it is something very negative about it. Um, I don't think intentionally because there's, there's other times when clearly it, 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 it isn't so really in that way. Like, I don't think that the, this is stuff in the ending that doesn't that doesn't necessarily what they're wielding. I don't I don't think that this that anyone sat down to write write this movie and thought we need to send a message about about sexuality or anything. I don't think that happened. You are going to have a rape scene in your movie, though. You 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 might want to try to concoct a, a, a some some sort of thematic structure that's a little more concrete than than the flimsiest of 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 plywood. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, it just it just comes across as as something that was not particularly thought through in a way that really had very much consideration. And and I really I really want to make this as clear as possible. I I hated that scene because of that. That's my least favorite scene in the movie. I I, I found it to be something that for the most part was used as very cheap shock value. I don't I don't get on on Alien. Uh, on Alien's case, as uh, as much because that's something that's not nearly as overtly about. Oh, this is about male rape because I mean a lot of it is really phallic imagery about like oh showing um uh, you know this this thing wrapping around his his throat and it's and it's constantly talking about how things are being thrust down John Hurt's throat in that film and and how things explode out and, and like there's there is sexual imagery there but you don't you don't see it like like just you know like fucking his face basically you don't see him uh, like putting the tail or like like inside of his ass and and it's it's just it, like one is more exploitative than in the than the other and i feel like again just really want to make this as clear as possible the same standard should be held towards towards the the rape of any other Kind of combination of you know, you, you know I'm saying. sure that one of the big reasons that even if this was mainstream, this might not have gotten the same. This probably wouldn't have gotten the same attention that you know maybe something like like Evil Dead has in recent years is because it's 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 sexual assault against a man, and that's not not to sound like a like a silly men's rights activist or anything. You know, I I totally not going to argue that men are less privileged in America or something like something stupid like that, but clearly. There is a double standard, and a lot of times people don't take sexual assault against men as seriously. That's that's just a reality. That is, it's it, and no, it's very very unfortunate. I think it's very important that you mentioned that like it's 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 equally not okay. One one other thing that I I would like to mention um, that I don't really think that I got to mention from a little bit earlier on in the podcast uh, before we do get to the ending is that I th I feel like a lot of imagery is taken from other horror films. I mean, I've already talked a little bit about how like the general idea of like, oh, a sick fetish uh, can be sort of indulged in here, uh, kind of like how it is in something like Hostel. 
but I would also say that a lot of this is is very from dusk till dawn. I was thinking a lot about from dusk till dawn while watching this, in part because that movie actually does a a, a good job of making the club that they go into really enticing and really magical and and engaging, uh, as opposed to this movie where it just comes across as like a is is basically like a refined couple notches above like a like a like a dirty bar it's it, it's really we already made that point but uh, th- this idea of you have you have these people going into an environment where there are these monsters around and they want to do nefarious things to you and and possibly kill you and stuff like that and it's a slow reveal of how it is that like it's these supernatural creatures all around you in this more conventional like calm sexual environment so i was thinking a lot about that and really i mean a lot of the conceits are basically just taken from from dusk till dawn i mean you have the sexy dance as a way of like kind of luring people in and the same thing with the siren as being the thing that's luring the men in and i would also say that i think that the design of the siren i mean i like the design of of her face though i pretty much entirely credit that to the original short film but I feel like the the tale uh, is completely taken from a, uh, I believe, late 2000s movie called Splice, where when she is completely naked and she has this very long tail and she has this sort of um, unconventional androgynous uh, uh, just look to her in general, um, it sort of replicates the way that the mutant monster thing in this movie with Adrian Brody uh, called Splice does. Um, it looks really similar uh, to the point that I feel completely comfortable saying that it's a ripoff and I, I of a design. Uh, it's the, it's the same thing with the with the the design of the monster from Jeepers Creepers, where you have this thing with just a gigantic bat wings that can just ju- just powerfully just just lift off the ground with just the, the slightest movement and i mean we, we even borrow the same imagery at the very end of the movie which i'm sure we'll talk about in, in a minute where the guy is lifted off and just sort of carried away by the monster for it to do nefarious things to him continuously that's the ending of jeepers creepers spoiler alert by the way jeepers creepers isn't great it's a fine movie so i mean, sorry if i actually spoiled it for you but it's i mean it's th- this even in some of the more unconventional possibly potentially shocking moments there's really nothing about this movie that's original at all yeah okay yeah i think that's that's fair i i, I haven't um yeah i i i think that there's that's a, that's a fair statement some of, the, some of the things you're you're mentioning aren't all things i've i've, I've seen but I'll, I'll take your word in those those things mm. uh Jeepers Creepers one, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, because I've I've seen it. It's been I honestly can't remember that one too well, which uh, which probably says uh, a fair bit about Jeepers Creepers. Jeepers Creepers is fine, but we're, we're but we're not reviewing Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. So um, yeah, let's talk about the ending of the movie just to round it out because there's a little ending sequence. the The very first thing I'd like to say is that it's inconsistent. With the rest of the movie, it, it it basically shows the the siren as having a power that she clearly doesn't have. We know that the song like basically has you sort of envisioning reliving 
different times you've had had sex in your life or, or having sex and provides this real sexual experience, but there's no evidence at all throughout the movie that she can basically, through singing or whatever, make you think she looks like someone she's not or change her form or whatever she's supposed to be doing. It doesn't really make sense. The ending is really stupid. I don't... So beyond just... Beyond just how silly it is that they give her this introduction to uh, this power that she really just didn't have, I totally agree with what you're saying. Uh, first of all, I think it is completely ridiculous that if we're expected to think about this movie as being in tandem with the short film, what is it that happens at the end of the of the short film? We have the we have the Lilith uh, get invested in this one guy, and even though he tries to get away from her. She she ends up just taking him anyway, even if he rejects her, and that shows that she, even though she does have the ability to be hurt by the stuff that other people say, she's not really going to be listening to what their preference is. It's like she can be upset by what their preference is, but she's going to still take him and do what she wants anyway, which is lift him up and take him away like the bat. So why is it at the end of this movie that she basically just? After he rejects her in the church, she, she just kind of goes like, "Oh yeah, that's okay." Yeah, there's uh, no I, reason for I, him to, for her to do that if she's accepted yeah. the deal that he's made. And, and he's it's like a, it's, it's it's over a year that she that she just allows him to just do basically whatever he wants, and she just comes back for no other reason than to have an arbitrary horror, a conventional horror movie stinger where the monster returns at the very end, and it's and it's a down note. It is it is completely, completely generic and and just it's frankly predictable. What what part of what makes it so frustrating is that the second that you see that anything is happening after the scene when she leaves him, you know, oh, okay, so we're just gonna have the return of the monster and it, and it's just gonna be ex exactly what I would expect it would be, and it's 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 really lazy. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that's, that's, that's true. I would, I would also just say that I'm not really sure what it is that I'm supposed to be getting out of this on a thematic level where, okay, he is sort of at times, it comes across like he has his own temptations towards being with a more uh, sexually freeing, uh, environment with the, with the siren. And sometimes, uh, he is, when he thinks about her or when he, when he thinks about his wife, he still kind of hums the tune of of uh, of the siren when he's just sort of all by himself. He like it's something that's on his mind. So it, there is a sort of conflict a little bit before we get to the ending. I mean, it's it's minor, and it would have been nice if we could have focused on it a little bit more, but it is there. And I don't really know what conclusion I'm supposed to draw from this by the end. Like, I mean, he's completely not active in his decision to be of being taken away from his wife at the very end. I mean, it would be unsatisfying if all of a sudden, I mean, considering there was so little buildup to him just leaving his wife to be with the sexually freeing siren, but it would actually resolve a little bit more of this minor conflict that they had set up earlier in the movie as as it as it stands it's, it basically just ends with 
Well, I guess she she just took him, and that's just what happened. It's not like she grows as a character. It's not like he grows as a character. It's not really like anything actually feels like dramatically it's anything has really happened. It just feels like, well, the next scene is she took him, and it doesn't make any sense because we had a year gap in between. Uh, I don't know what the white answer would have been for this, but actually, no, the white answer would have been to just not have it. With them leaving the LA, they get married. It's better than this. And it, it, it also calls into question his decision to, to even release her at the very end. I mean, I understand that she is being held against her will, but I, I, would, I would like to think that most people can agree that, that I mean, this, this creature was extraordinarily dangerous when it was out in the world on its own. And as awful as it, as it is that it was being kept in captivity, it wasn't killing people. And now that you've let her go and like, it doesn't matter if she, if she likes you, she still killed people on her way to get you. I mean, you're, you're actually doing more harm to people by having this creature let out into the world than good. And I don't know. I guess I just, I feel kind of bizarre even having too much of a thought about whether I even find her to be a totally sympathetic character because yes, I can understand why it is that she's doing the stuff that she's doing, but the stuff that she's doing is, is just terrible. So it's, it's this very muddled ending where I'm not happy that he's with her, but I'm also kind of, I kind of feel like, well, I mean, you kind of deserved this. I know, I agree. I think that clearly this is someone who is an evil being, and I think it calls into question the, the movie's desire for us to be sympathetic to this character. I mean, it's hard to, to be sympathetic when, you know, she, if, if she's reneging on deals and so, you know, yeah, it probably it, it makes me go back and think, oh, probably just the antagonist was right the whole time, and I, I don't, and you know, this Look, maybe you never want to have that. You never want to have that about a sex trafficker antagonist. You don't. You definitely don't. And even if the movie was trying to do that, then like, come on, like, shame on you. With that, uh, let's get to final thoughts. Grayson, do you want to begin? This movie is thematically incompetent. It is formally very weak, and it does a very poor job of really delivering on almost every single element that would make not only a horror movie engaging, but make any movie engaging. Its story is lacking. The form is lacking. And its presentation uh, through the actors is lacking. It is a failure. It is a, a, an actively bad film. And I would say that other than the performance from the guy who plays Gavin McGinnis and the design of the monster or the, the, the design of the Lilith creature. I would say that there really is not almost anything in this movie that I enjoyed whatsoever. I'm going to give this a pretty high three out of 10. I didn't quite dislike it as much as you did, I think, overall. I do like more of the stuff in the club. Uh, but you're right, this is a very actively bad film. And thematically, it's incompetent. The acting is mostly not, not good. The production design is very bad. The production values are very bad. You know, at the end of the day, what you're going to want to know is, is this, is this scary? Is this, is this fun to watch? Is this engaging? And, and the answer to all of those questions is no. 
I have a large, a slightly larger list of things I like. I like, I do like Hannah Freeman's performance, despite the fact that I don't think there's really enough of her. I like a lot of the stuff in the club. I do like the character of Nick's and the performance, but this is really bad. Uh, this is not a a good adaptation, really at all. Uh, it's it's kind of an obviously bad movie. And, you know, it's also one that, that I'm probably not going to think about ever again. Like, I'm never going to see this again. I'm never going to think about it again. There's no reason to think about it. It's, it's, it's done. It's not, it's a, it's a, it's a pointless movie. It doesn't need to exist. I'm giving it a, a solid four out of 10. It's, it's really, really bad. I'm not quite going to say it's terrible or anything, but it's, there's definitely no real reason to, to see it. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts and uh, follow our Facebook page. And now signing off, I'm Jesse. I'm Grayson. You're listening to More Than Thumbs.